Welcome to the HR Chat Show, one of the world's most downloaded and shared podcasts designed for HR pros, talent execs, tech enthusiasts, and business leaders. For hundreds more episodes and what's new in the world of work, subscribe to the show, follow us on social media, and visit hrgazette.com. Welcome to another episode of the HR Chat Show. I'm your host today, Bill Bannum, and my returning guest this time is the awesome, fantastic, fabulous, wonderful, super clever, charismatic Brit Andreata, PhD, Chief Executive Officer over at Brain Aware Training and Chief Learning Officer at Lynda.com. Britt is an internationally recognized thought leader who creates brain science-based solutions for today's challenges. She draws on her unique background in leadership, neuroscience, psychology, and education to unlock the best in people and in organizations. She has nearly 30 years of experience consulting with executives from all types of organizations, and she's a highly sought after and engaging speaker. In fact, she regularly presents at corporate events and international conferences, receiving rave reviews like best speaker of the conference. And uh, Britt's latest book is called Wired to Become. I've got a, I've got a copy right in front of me here on my desk is awesome and we're going to chat all about the learnings of of that book in today's conversation Britt welcome back to the show it's great to have you here so great to be back Bill thank you so much I always love connecting with uh listeners and people around the world who are interested in the same topics Britt you and I we uh we caught up in person at the ATD conference in San Diego which I was expecting to be sunny it was not that's a different story uh back in back in May how was the conference for you and why exhibit there? Yes, I love connecting with the folks at ATD. It stands for Association for Talent Development because I just find folks who are invested in helping others be their best selves are a really positive, caring group of people to hang out with. So I always enjoy my time there. I learn a lot from presentations I attend, and it's a great way to connect with, with folks who do that kind of work in organizations all around the world. Thanks for tuning in to the HR Chat Podcast. If you're enjoying this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you could subscribe and leave a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice. And now, back to the conversation. And by the way, I don't know who you know at ATD, but what an amazing location you had for your booth. I, I, I came up and I tried to speak to you during lunchtime. It was, uh, it was right near the area where everybody goes for their lunch. So it was terribly busy at that moment. So thank you for giving me a, a couple of minutes, but it was a great spot. Um, let's move on now and, and uh, change to the main focus of today's conversation. And that is Wired to Become. Um, what, what prompted you to, to write the book? Well, I started writing it back in 2018. And then, of course, we went into the pandemic and lockdowns. And all of us had a lot of time on our hands to, to think about what mattered. And we were facing our mortality. And, and as I was continuing to consult with organizations, I realized I was watching in real time a real shift in people. You know, purpose had been something that folks focused on before, but all of a sudden it was really increasing because we were facing mortality. We were dealing with grief. We were having time to reflect on what mattered and how we wanted to spend our time. Um, people were, were moving through trauma of all kinds and moving into post-traumatic growth. So I started, um, I dug back into it to write it. And I'm glad I had paused because the, the book 
that that's out now is a very different book than would have been, what would have been written before. So it was really all of all of those things I was watching kind of us move together um, through around the world at the same time. And I'm really clear that we have we have changed as a species. We are changed because of the last three years. And I think it's a positive change, even though it's been very difficult. I would completely agree with those sentiments. Uh, I, I think I think the pandemic was, of course, a very difficult time for, for all of us. Um, however, it did give us a chance to to reflect, to, to think about our own purpose. Uh, what, what, what do you think or what do you believe is the difference between happiness and purpose? You know, the ancient Greek scholars talked about these two types of well-being. One is known as hedonic well-being, which is kind of that happiness or pleasure attainment. It's really that immediate kind of reaction we have, that fleeting sense of pleasure or joy. Um, And it's really focused on kind of self-enhancing, like what what gives me joy? You know, what does Brit like? And then there's the second type they identified. They named it eudaimonic well-being. But that really comes from striving toward meaning or purpose, um, also kind of fulfilling your potential. It's it's more long-term. It, it doesn't necessarily feel awesome in the moment, but it does create a deeper sense of fulfillment or satisfaction. Um, and what's really interesting about eudaimonic well-being is it is always focused on others. So it's self-transcending in some way. And what's interesting from a neuroscience perspective, I love geeking out on, on brain science, is that they're different neurologically too. That when scholars study happiness and purpose and meaning, they actually show up in different regions of the brain. So we know that they're actually experienced by us biologically as different things too. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the HR Chat Show. IEA training provides professional development to a changing workforce with changing needs. And we're proud to support this episode of the HR Chat Podcast. IEA offers lots of courses, webinars, and on-demand training to meet our students where they are and help them reach their goals. We're proud of our contribution to better risk analysis and high operating standards in the industry. Learn more at ieatraining.org. And now, back to the conversation. Now tell me what connections exist between finding purpose or meaning and our physical and, and mental health. And again, this goes back to a lot of the lessons that we all we all took from the pandemic, I think. Absolutely. I, you know, when I started doing this research, I was so blown away by the robust set of research that's been done that shows, I mean, it really proves that we are wired to have purpose and meaning in our lives because it drives when we have it, it drives so many positive benefits. And when we're lacking it, there's clearly a rise in anxiety and depression and and many of the difficult things that humans face. So some of the cool stuff, first of all, when you get to live a sense of purpose in your life, there's neural protection. So people who get to do that have lower incidences of stroke, cognitive decline and depression. There's also a a physical protection, like less heart attacks, better cardiovascular health, um, faster healing, and even longer lives. Like literally it helps more, you know, mortality and longevity. There's also a community protection too. So for example, when people get to live a sense of purpose in their life, they're much more accepting uh, of diversity and they're tolerant of other people. And I think that's because, you know, if you're living your own life, you have you know, you're more satisfied in your own life. So you're not so focused on critiquing or judging other people. 
And then for marginalized communities, people who are on the receiving end of bias and microaggressions, having a sense of purpose actually provides a little bit of a protection from the harm that those things do. That doesn't mean we shouldn't work very hard to get rid of those things, but it's it's good to know that when you're going through stress or difficulty in your life, purpose can be a thing that gives you a way through. And we also know that um, it helps with better rehabilitation. So for example, if people are working through an addiction or um, a recovery process of some kind, they're much more likely to, to have success. And even um, folks who are um, incarcerated, much lower recipients recidivism if they have a sense of purpose in their life. So all kinds of really cool things um, that come for us as individuals and also as communities when people get to have purpose and meaning in their lives. So during the pandemic, of course, a lot of people took a look at their lives and what they were doing for work and they, they, they changed things up. They, many people changed their careers entirely. They started their own things. They, they moved on. They, they, uh, they, they sought new learning opportunities, new ways to improve themselves. Um, but how does one get there in the first place? How, how, how does one evaluate or assess whether one's work is, is meaningful or not? In, in some ways, I guess it's kind of an obvious question. If you're not happy in what you do, maybe you shouldn't be doing it. But is, is, there, is there a technique behind really getting to maybe the thing you are doing could be worthwhile, but you're not doing it in the right way, for example? Yeah, I want to say two things about this. Let me first talk about meaningfulness at work. So it kind of uh, it kind of exists on a continuum. So think about meaningful on one end and meaningless in another. And you know, throughout our day, we're going to go back and forth between tasks that are meaningful and satisfying and some stuff that's kind of meaningless. But you know, so that ratio matters. Um, if you have way too much meaninglessness and then not very much meaningful the job's not going to feel very good, right? So you got to look at kind of your ratios. There's also three categories that came up in the research. One is meaning of work. So this is how you perceive the overall concept of work. It's very influenced by your parents and teachers and kind of what you were told as a child. And then there's meaning in work, which is how meaningful work is to you specifically. And then there's meaning at work, which is more narrowly defined as the context of a specific job at a particular organization. So, for example, you know, I was raised with um, attitudes about work, which is it should be fulfilling. Of course, you're going to have highs and lows. But, um, you know, I, I was I was taught, you know, that that work can be a, a really wonderful source of your sense of self, et cetera. And then for me, learning and development and, and training and, and executive coaching and all that, I, I take great meaning in doing that. And I've done that throughout my career. And then meaning at work, I've had some jobs that have been awesome. And then I've worked at places that have sucked the soul out of me. <laughs> so then I've been like, okay, I like, I like this type of work, but I don't like doing it here or under this person. The second thing I want to say is that burnout can give us a false sense of of apathy and feelings of futility because burnout when we overwork and under rest it it tends to really affect us physically and emotionally and oftentimes what happens is the things that used to give us a sense of joy or meaning all of a sudden kind of lose that 
And so I think that the great resignation was driven, yes, by people having a lot of time to pause and say, hey, life, we're not guaranteed a life that lasts a long time. Where do I want to be? What kind of work do I want to be doing? How hard do I want to be working? That definitely drove the great resignation. But it was also driven by burnout and people just thinking, oh, I don't like this job or this group of people anymore. And really it was the burnout talking, but it prompted them to go find other jobs, which is why we saw a lot of boomerangers who went out and then came back. (laughs) Tiger Hall is a social learning platform that offers professional learners a personalized and engaging experience. And we're proud to support this episode of the HR Chat Podcast. Think of Tiger Hall as the social media of learning, where you get bite-sized, real-world, actionable insights from leaders and subject matter experts in your organization, industry trailblazers, and top executives from Fortune 500 companies. Dive into Tiger Hall for an innovative experience in micro-learning, scaling tribal knowledge, sales enablement, leadership development, peer-to-peer learning through engaging social cohorts, and more. Visit tigerhall.com to learn more and start your 30-day trial today. One thing that you mentioned, which is particularly interesting to me, you you talk about paradoxes with purpose, Brit. Um, can, can Can you kind of explain a little bit about what these common paradoxes might might be? Yeah, I dedicate a chapter to this because it came up in the research quite often that you know, you can hear having purpose and meaningful work is like, oh, it's this all positive thing, right? So of course, once you find it, you're going to be great. But there are some paradoxes. So a couple of them are, um, one is it's a deeply personal thing. What I find meaningful or purposeful might be really different than what you do, Bill, or, you know, our colleagues or our friends. And yet, even though it's deeply personal, it's ultimately shaped by people as we as we grow up you know, our teachers, our parents, our, our first bosses. And it's also controlled by others. You know, even if you work for yourself, it's still controlled by how your client base is doing. And, and definitely if you work inside an organization, how those leaders do, how your manager is can control a lot of, of what you, you get access to. So that's one paradox, deeply personal, and yet you don't always have control over it. Um, uh, A second paradox is kind of this dangers of boundary management, that if you care deeply about your work, that there can be this kind of dark side, and that came up in the literature quite a bit, quote the dark side of of purpose, is that some folks can be driven to harmful excesses. So, for example, you know, people who do work where they are rescuing others or, you know, certainly first responders, but also people who do a lot of work with geopolitical issues or advocating for a certain community, it can feel like they can never take a break because the issue is always present and people are always getting harmed. And some folks can work overwork themselves to the point of not only burnout, but physical and mental, you know, health issues and also relationships. You know, it's really hard for them to maintain maintain relationships. So that excessive stuff can be a problem. Now, this is something that we saw happen to healthcare workers, not by choice. Healthcare workers as a group take a lot of meaning in helping others thrive and be healthy. But there's this idea of how much ratio you have to meaningful work, kind of this, this ratio of supply 
and what's asked of you. And healthcare workers during normal times usually find a pretty good balance of how, how much supply there is of that type of work and how much they want. But as a whole group in the pandemic, they were on the front line saving the rest of us, particularly before there were vaccines and some other measures. And so they all went into incredible excess of supply, which is why the burnout rates in healthcare workers have been significantly higher. The top three groups for burnout during the pandemic were healthcare workers, educators, teachers, and um, technology folks, because they had to do so much overwork to help us all pivot to work from home, et cetera. And then the third, there's five of them, but the third one I'll call out is, um, you know, purpose and meaning ebb and flow over time. So you might have times in your life where you feel like, wow, I'm really doing amazing work and this is awesome. And then you go into a little bit of a dry spell. And so it's not always perfect all the time. It's a paradox that, that means you have to get comfortable with the ebb and flow and yet also kind of figure out when it's ebbing, is there something to do about it? Or if you just need a little patience and get through it. Okay. Okay. Thank you very much. Uh, Okay. So for those folks who are employees, as opposed to perhaps during the pandemic, they decided they'd go off and do their own thing. Um, But for those employees who are looking for a bit more guidance in terms of finding that purpose, what can managers do to, to create more meaning and purpose for their people, for, for their employees. What, what are some of those most uh, most successful actions that you see that can be taken to, to, to create that? Yeah, that's a great question. I call out 13 different things that managers can do uh, to help their people. I'm not going to go through all of them now, but so, some key ones are, first of all, you know, get to know your people, like have a conversation around what is your sense of purpose and what gives you meaning. And why do you want to work here? Like, what's the alignment for you at this organization? So get to know your people. Um, Also, spend a lot of time communicating the organization's purpose and the good it does. Oftentimes, we can get super tasky and be focusing on this project or this deadline, but keep bringing people back to this is the good we're doing in the world, or this is the good this project is going to do for the rest of the organization. So keep drawing those connections. Um, I also think it's really important to to keep tinkering with people's roles. Like once you get to know folks a little bit better, you may realize, oh, if I just swap a couple things from these two people's job descriptions, they're both going to be happier. So, you know, feel free to to do some job hacking. Um, I also think it's uh, great to learn how to become a coach so that you can ask really good questions and help cultivate people's sense of purpose. Um, Coaching is really very different than teaching and training people or supervising them. We also know that relationships are a big source of how people feel meaning at work. So spend time helping people get to know each other and, you know, build time in for team building. Um, That is not wasted time. It actually pays off in a lot of ways. And then I would say, you know, a, a final one I'll call out is, psychological safety is really important as is inclusion. So you want to know how to craft it, but more importantly, when there's violations to it, you need to address those violations and any violations of the the stated purpose and values. So you want to be actively creative of these things, but you also are responsible for addressing it when it's not. Um, Because when we allow those violations to, to, to just stand, it creates a sense of hypocrisy that really erodes trust in leadership. You say that purpose-driven organizations will become 
the norm. I hope you're right. Uh, what what are the benefits for leaders to to shift their organisation? You've you've kind of you've alluded to this quite a lot already today, but um, spell it out for for those cynical leaders out there so that they make the leap. Okay. Well, first of all, I they will become the norm of the future. The research is just super clear. Um, mainly because the newer generations, millennials, um, Gen Z, um, Al- Gen Alpha, they they will not accept anything less. So millennials are going to be 75% of the workforce by 2025. And the younger generations are even more staunchly focused on working for purpose-driven organizations. They really want to see organizations committed to doing greater good in the world, and particularly around social equality in the environment. If you as a leader don't focus on making sure your organization is purpose driven, you will lose not only them as employees, you're going to lose them as customers. And some of them will go so far as to actively campaign against you on social media. So listen up because it's no joke. Um, But here are all the benefits for becoming a purpose driven organization. I'm going to cite um, a couple studies here. One is research done by McKinsey, and they found that employees who say they can live their purpose at work, they're six and a half times more likely to report higher resilience, four times more likely to report better health, six times more likely to want to stay at the company, and one and a half times more likely to go above and beyond to make their company successful. All of those things translate to dollars for the company. They they have great ROI. Um, a couple studies by Google and PricewaterhouseCoopers found 50% stronger leadership potential among employees who get to live their purpose, uh, 100%, 125% higher productivity, and 400% higher performance. And then another study by Deloitte found 30% higher levels of innovation and 40% higher employee retention. And they went on to say, and this is a quote, Purpose-driven companies witness higher market share gains and grow three times faster on average than their competitors, all while achieving higher workforce and customer satisfaction. So, boom, there's your there's your data. It's replicated by multiple studies around the world. It is the wave of the future. And the question is, how quickly can you make the pivot or continue to enhance work you're already doing that makes your organization purpose-driven? So in conclusion, listeners, so boom, there you go. It's happening. Get on board. Uh, (laughs) Before we do wrap up for today, how can folks connect with you? So maybe that's email. Maybe you want to uh, share your LinkedIn details, all the other socials that you're on. And of course, how can folks be lucky like me and have a copy of your new book, Wired to Become? Oh, thank you. Well, so Wired to Become is available wherever you buy print or ebooks. So it's out there and you can get a copy. I'm planning to record an audiobook of it later in the year, probably early 2024. Um, if you want to connect with me, LinkedIn, Britt Andriata, my name, uh, you'll find me there. I'm very active on LinkedIn as well as Instagram. Um, not so much Twitter anymore now that it's become X, but we're um, jumping onto threads. So <laughs> whatever social media is happening, you'll find me there somewhere. And then my website is my name. So BrittAndriata.com. And then I'm also the CEO of Brain Aware Training. So if you want any of these principles rolled into some training programs, you can roll out for your executives, your leaders and managers, or your employees. Come check us out at BrainAwareTraining.com. Awesome. Well, that just leads me to say, 
for today Britt. i very much appreciate your time and coming back on the show it's been far too long since we had our last chat so thank you so much for being my guest on this episode of the hr chat show thank you bill and again i love connecting with everyone so please reach out and go go find yourself some purpose it's going to bring you all kinds of benefits and as always listeners until next time happy working thanks for listening to the hr chat show if you enjoyed this episode Why not subscribe and listen to some of the hundreds of episodes published by HR Gazette. And remember, for what's new in the world of work, subscribe to the show, follow us on social media, and visit hrgazette.com.